I look all serious. I know I'm, I'm thinking about internet problems. Uh. <laughs> Joyce, it's good to see you. Hello, bonjour. In in your community, do you say do you say Anin when you greet each other? Pretty much, yes, Anin. That's that's the uh, uh, normal greeting. Or, but yeah, Very... it's always good to talk to you. Oh, it's always good to talk to you, Joyce. Yes. Yeah, I miss miss talking to you here, but. Um... But this will do. And it is, you know, it is kind of amazing to be able to just like log in and talk to friends and see them face to face. Other oh, yes, side of the is. country, a, other side of the world. Yeah, it's, yeah. blessings and miracles have happened in COVID. <laughs> and uh, it's got us a new way to communicate. Yeah. As, yeah. As, as uncomfortable as we are with technology. We have been forced to do things that we didn't think we could do or mm-hmm. would want to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people came dragging and, you know, it, dragging yeah. their feet and screaming. Yeah. And I yeah. was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different world. And and uh, I was just talking to Susie earlier this, today and I said, just think of that, Susie. I said, our world changed in one day. Mm-hmm. I went to a, a, a funeral and a service and we had a big feast as we normally do in the community center. And that was the last day the community got together as a community. Because the mm. next day we were told, you need to isolate. You need to stay at home. And then the next yeah. week they brought me a sign and, and there was three of them. And you made a choice. So I have a, um, I have conditions that could, if I ever got COVID, I could kill right. me. Yeah. And uh, so compromised immune system. So I put that in my window. And um, then the next week they brought all kinds of supplies like to masks and um, stuff you rub on your hands. And they they helped me. They told me to set up a station at, near my door so if people came in. Oh, yeah. That was early in the day. Now it's still there. But... Uh, but yeah, I like this the like using Zoom to connect it's reminded me of stories that I've heard Stan tell about the way radio uh really connected the communities in the 70s. Um and you know, he has stories about how on on Sundays there would be these like radio get-togethers where people yeah, would yeah. share share stories from you know one community to the next all in the language. Um yeah. And it, it built some pretty significant connections that that helped people, you know, organize and come together as a as a a collective across the country. Hi. Hi, Henry. Good morning. I, was, I don't even know how you just kind of appeared. 
<laughs> yeah. A little he is, late. Oh, but he's, he's he is got, with us. You know, look at the headphones he's got. <laughs> yeah, he's pro. Got, yeah, the last couple interviews, Henry was either in his in his basement at home where his kids had to like zip it <laughs> while mm-hmm. he was doing interviews. Um, or then uh then the time after that, uh he went he went to a friend's place uh who offered his I guess that was his basement. Um and it was all concrete walls and Henry Henry sounds a little bit like Darth Vader in our last uh uh <laughs> I bet <laughs> well you know Anishinaabe Yona, Darth Vader <laughs> we've been we've been talking in the ministry the training I'm taking about Jonah quite a bit actually. Nice. Oh the prophet. Yeah. Oh yeah about obedience and and how we as even in this day and age, have a hard time following orders, right? Mm-hmm. From headquarters. Yep. And uh, yeah, so just interesting that you'd be at Jonah's. Yeah, Jonah is. I, do you do you know? Do you remember Kelly Bernard and Dvorak? I know she's done some teachings on trauma. I think in the in the, some of the learning circles, and she's been oh, available yeah. as a counselor. Do you remember her? I think I do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I do. I think I have a picture of her actually. Yeah, so so um, she's that's kind of her outfit there. Uh, it's, a, oh. it's a community. It's a community center therapy place, uh, and they have a they have a sweat lodge in the back, right at, right in the back lane of Selkirk Avenue, Winnipeg. Yep. And uh, yeah, and Henry's the lodge keeper there. So wow. So we were trying to think about like a different place where Henry could do interviews from, where he would have you know, some quiet uh, and some good Wi-Fi. Where are we speaking to you today, Joyce? I'm on the Niashingaming First Nation. It used to be called Cape Croker. It is now referred to as uh, Niashingaming, which describes where we live. We live on a peninsula. So we're on a piece of land surrounded three sides by water. That's what it's describing, the word Niashingaming. So we likely didn't have a word for peninsula back in the day. So so the, the language is, is more descriptive than it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it says how things are related to each other. Yes. The land and the water. Well, I'm in a place that's surrounded on three sides by water this morning. I'm, I'm at the Sandy Soto Spiritual Center. And that's uh, Broken Head River, is it? Yeah, that's the, the Brokenhead River. That's right. The Brokenhead River uh, surrounds this whole property on on three sides. Uh, on the it's sort of the, it's basically the west, the south, and the east. And then you you drive in. You know, the driveway comes from the north. Uh, and I'm I'm happy to be here today. It it reminds me of how beautiful this place is, and it also reminds me how sad I am that we still can't have gatherings here. Um, so I'm here, and then uh, my good friend Henry McKay is in in Winnipeg. Um, you guys, you, did you guys meet each other last last? No, not last summer. The summer before. Yeah. Yes, uh, he mm-hmm. was up to Sandy Soto a few times when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Henry Henry was one of our helpers, and then he was. Uh, some people call him a young elder. Uh, and and he was shoulder tapped by Wally Chartrand uh, at the end of the men's retreat. Wally couldn't do the closing sweat, and Wally said to Henry, 
you know, it's your time. You're ready. Uh, you're going to lead the final sweat. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like, kind of like Henry's ordination service um, that, <laughs> that we got to be part of. And, and uh, so, so I'm tickled to be here with both of you. Um, I will, yeah, Henry and I have some questions. I will sort of take turns back and forth. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Joyce, if you could begin, uh, like, I would just be curious to, to hear a bit more about, um, you know, your growing up experience, uh, and, uh, particularly your experiences of, uh, you know, Christian and indigenous traditions in the community you grew up in. Just tell us about the community you grew up in and, and your, your experiences of those things. People should know that you are a student at, at Sandy Soto and that you're a minister uh, in your community um, and also someone who's, who's very connected to the culture. So, so let me begin by saying I didn't really grow up on the reserve. I grew up in an army base. My, my dad hmm. was in the service for 17 years, and my mother was also um, in the Canadian Women's uh, Army. She was a whack, and she went to London. She was stationed in London. Um, and that's where she met my dad. Now they're both from the same reserve. So I guess that was a love that was meant Hmm. to be because she, she traveled to London. My dad was in London and they met. And then when they came back to Cape, uh, my dad uh, was a fisherman and he was going to leave the service and, and fish in the Georgian Bay, but the Lampardiel had come in and their fishing was awful. So he, he stayed in the army. So I grew up in an army base, uh, Petawala near the Ottawa River, quite close to Quebec. And um, my time at home and the reserve was during the summertime, pretty much. So I grew up in the, in the Catholic mm. church. My mother was um, a residential mm. uh, child. She never went to church with us. My dad took us to church. My dad had escaped residential school. And so uh, we never figured it out till years later why we thought it was the role of the wife to stay home and make the big dinner after church. So my dad was a very, uh, um, he was quite a philosopher. And he believed in a lot of things, but that the thing he, the, the thing that he taught us a lot of was love for our fellow man, to be kind, to be caring, um, to earn trust, to be respectful, and uh, he uh, he taught that by living it. A lot of people think that we as native people grow up with this guru living in our house that teaches us all this, these things. And they don't necessarily sit us down and say, okay, now I'm going to give you a teaching. They live it. They just live it. Mm. So, and they do it. Mm. So you see it being done, but nobody's putting a flag up and saying, okay, this is how you're learning about humility. This is how you're learning about respect or truth or honesty or those things. It's a lived experience. So we would go to the, we mm. would go home 
and both my parents are from the same reserve. Um, and those things would happen there as well. So I have a very big, rich family history because I belong to two of the biggest families on the reserve, the Kijiks, which means cedar, and the Najwans, which some people mm. think means something nice to look at. I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, <coughs> the experience overall was pretty good. So living in an army base and then going to the reserve every summer till I was about 13, 14 years old was quite a, uh, an, an, an introduction to a very different very different types of culture. You know, in the Army base, it's rules and regulations, protocols, all that stuff, schedules. And on the reserve, I loved it because everything was so easy. There was, you know, back in that at that time, nobody had wristwatches or clocks in every room or a lot of people didn't even have televisions. They had two TVs I could remember when I was a kid. And it was a good thing that the uh, the concept of sharing was was um, was there because we would all go to, depending on where you were staying, to that one house on a Saturday or Friday night to watch horror shows or boxing or wrestling or whatever whatever was happening. Um, it was I, a big social event. It was a social event. I did not. <clears throat> There as well in the church. I didn't. I didn't like. It was said in Latin back in the days, and I had no idea from the time I entered to the time I left what actually was being said. And um, hmm. to me, it was just whole uh, an hour or half an hour, depending on whether we went to high mass or low mass, of agony. You know, because as a kid, it's hard to sit still for mm. for that length of time and still not get it. You know, I was confirmed in the church. You know, I got to wear the white dress and the and the white gloves and the white shoes and socks and and um, um I I did well in 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 the um the lessons that were taught about Jesus. I love Jesus because Jesus loved me. That was the message I got from that, from the sisters who taught catechism. And, you know, we heard all those stories of his birth um, and how he actually came to save us and, and things of that nature. So as a child, that was, was good for me because I didn't feel in, I didn't feel included Um when we lived in the army base, I just didn't feel uh, a member of that of that community. It was only when I went home that I felt. Was there some racism heard. there? What? Was there some racism there? There was being a being an indigenous army brat um, on the reserve. Or in in the camp? No, no, on on the like in the in the army base. There was, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was sort of like they talk about systemic racism. 
it existed, but it wasn't mm. it wasn't obvious. It, it was just so you can be um, discriminated against, and 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 not, and after a while, it can become normalized. That's just the way people treated you. <laughs> and unfortunately, that that was my take. Yeah, but there was enough for for a young girl. Yeah, there was enough for a young girl to get the the sense that she didn't belong. Yes, yes. I was the only brown face in a whole room of white faces. The same, my sister and brother also, uh, they separated us. I went to one, they had three schools on the Army base, Pinecrest, Rivercrest, and Colonel Forbes, and we all went to different schools. So we didn't even have the company of our siblings um, in in those settings. So it was it was very difficult. It was a I had a very difficult childhood because I I uh, wore glasses that were as thick as pop bottle bottoms. Um, I wasn't a good student um, academically, and I ended up. Uh, my dad got out of the service around the time I was eleven and twelve, and that was a real change for us, a real transition. So my dad went back to the things that he knew. He went back to to uh, fishing and hunting to feed us. He worked for farmers in the area, so we always had a lot of root vegetables like carrots, potatoes, and turnips. And and so we ate a lot of rabbit, a lot of partridge, um, a lot of venison, and uh, fish. So we were we were. And when he got under the army, it actually, in many ways, got better for us because he was with us and and uh, taught us a lot about who we were. My dad was a very proud man, and he was a very um, kind individual. So uh, I th- I think my reflection and and on. on um, what I learned from the from the Western society churches was that it was very rigid. It was very um, there were all kinds of protocols, all kinds of rules to be followed, all kinds of ways to think. I always felt like it was kind of you know they talk about uh, cults. You know the, nobody spoke in there except the altar boys and the priest, so nobody else got to say anything. So, and then when I got to grade nine, I took Latin. And wouldn't you know, that was just around the time they decided to say the mass in English. <laughs> so when I had finally arrived at a place where I thought I might figure out what they were talking about, things had changed. I was a teenager. I was no longer interested in church. Um, I did have a, an occasion where I, I had thought about becoming a nun. Because I had a, I was living with the sisters of the Good Shepherd for eighteen months, um, mm. but that quickly, you know, sort of waxed and it waned. Um, I uh, got married early, had four children. Almost in uh, my children mm. were born sixty seven, sixty eight. 69, and my last child was born on 1971. So had four small babies. And uh, 
those years were very difficult for me because I was married to somebody who who indulged in a lot of alcohol. <laughs> you got to find out what they were saying in that. that Huh? Well, I thought of the church as like a cult. Like n nobody got to express anything except the the priest, and everything he said was was sort of delivered through. You know, God was the representative, and 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 it came out that way. The, I always seen the nuns as being very subservient to the priest, and it it didn't. You know, when I go home. And they do, wow. and they didn't even call them ceremonies then. When they did activities that involved family, kind of like a, this young man, like he knows what I'm talking about. It just happened. It, it, it wasn't like there was a, a big to do about it. It just, it, it just what, was what it was. You know, when the men went out in the boat, you'd see them putting tobacco on the water. And you knew there was a reason for it. Nobody was, giving a lesson on why this is done. Uh, when they went out to hunt uh, and you were a part of that group, things happened during that whole ex, ex, uh, um, adventure that you knew were, were part of how things were done. So like even when they washed the nets, so there, there was a lot of fishing. So when they'd wash the nets in... Um, if they had sat out in the water too long, they would wash them in cedar water. And you knew that there was something special about that cedar water because we had to run around collecting cedar and they had those big pots that they did um, sap in, you know, water sap. And that would be filled with this uh, cedar water and they would soak it because it was big enough, they would soak the nets in it. Mm. And then and clean them. And uh, there was still a lot of use of, of the old way of healing, of, of treating illnesses. My mother's name is Kijik, means cedar. So cedar was used as a tea. Uh, they, they use it to um, sometimes bathe babies in if they were having a, a difficult time. Um, it was used to mm -hmm. sit on, they they uh, put it on the stove so you could smell it, eh? You could smell it all over the house. Um, there was always in the springtime the collection of sweetgrass, and um, it would often be braided, and it was often used in crafts um, as a as a a trim sort of thing. But I, I always knew right. that that. There was a whole ritual to it. We'd go out and we'd pick it, we'd bring it home, we'd um, uh, lay it in a, like a, a, a cookie sheet and spread it out on top of the stove. Uh, it didn't boil or anything, but because sweetgrass curls, it's not, it doesn't come like it looks when, you know, after it's um, thinned out and whatnot. And then it would either be braided or, or bunched in in groups. So, yeah, so um, I found when I went to Sandy Soto and people were talking about their, their how they learned, 
most of them learn just by doing, mm. just by being present and seeing it happen all the time. Yeah. That that was how things are just done, you know. Um, Hmm. I think, so I was this young mom sitting on the reserve and um, I was sitting on the education committee at that time. And we were talking about language because we knew there wasn't a lot of language. Language is quickly disappearing. And I don't speak it. My mother did. She was affluent. So um, I took that on as a challenge. And I thought, you know, I had I had lived in the, in the, Army base, I was had to take French and I had to take Latin. I said, it's time for us to have a time to learn our own language. And it's easier to start with children because children uh, seem to take to it easier than older people. And then they have, and I guess we figured they'd have each other to talk to if they didn't have anybody back home because there were a lot of the parents had no idea. The language had been uh, eroded that that fast in a very short period of time. And residential school played a great role in that. Mm -hmm. My mother was a fluent speaker, but she didn't speak to us in the language. My dad, mother was a non-native and so he never learned the language. My dad did learn the language. He could he could understand it, but he wouldn't speak it because people made fun oh, of yeah. us how he spoke it, how his enunciation. So anyway, um, so I, I had a kind of a, an exciting life in the sense that I, I got to see what was happening at home on the, on the reserve, and I got to see what happens in the larger society. And early in the day I made, you know, I was part of the Indian, Indian uh, Center Movement, Friendship Center Movement. And back in the day, we didn't we didn't call it a friendship center. We called it an Indian club. And uh, I was living in London, and and some very generous person in the city had offered us a place to hold our our get-togethers. And it was quite big. It was like a gym, and there was like a kitchen. So we met there, and most of us were young. We were all about eighteen, nineteen years old. Uh, some a little bit older, and. Uh, it was more of a social outfit. So we would uh, just come together and I became the social convener and somebody else took care of uh, uh, making sure that the space was opened and that we closed it right. So we were, we were managing ourselves in, um, in just a common sense way. We didn't have any rules. We didn't have uh, or not a lot of them, you know. You couldn't come there if you were drinking or anything like that. But, but, uh, and then we 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 were propositioned by another party who wanted to develop us into a friendship center, and uh, were willing to support us that way, as long as the board was fifty-one percent non-native and forty-nine percent native. And I opted out. I said, you know what? None of us are getting paid. We're coming here because it's a friendship center for Aboriginal people who are in the city. It's, that's what it is. And uh, 
I, I don't see given my power and control over to 51% of a board. That's not, that's not culture. If they just said 50-50, it would have been happy. Hmm. But we're still, as I, as I seen it, that's just my, other people stayed with me, but I didn't. And he said no. I did attend certain events that they hosted, but I didn't, I wouldn't sit as a, a member of their board. I ended up being part of the board in Windsor, Ontario. And um, that, but that was after the Friendship Center movement had been established in most of the major cities in Ontario. Anyway. So uh, the, it, it was, I think it was a time when Aboriginal people were sort of coming into their own and wanting to um, express themselves and, and, to, and to take some of that power back, you know, um, without being constantly dictated to and regulated. And, and you know, the funniest part about it was I was talking to Susie, I said, I can remember when I started chairing meetings, uh, Rupert's rules were like, I was very tolerant. I chaired my meetings with a, an iron fist. We started on time. They ended when they were supposed to. And an agenda was set. Topics were set. And action was recorded. <laughs> I laugh about that now because um, you can become colonized without even knowing you got colonized. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and um, I'm bossy by nature. That's my Indian nature. That's my Nishnabek wet nature. Um, and by bossy, I mean there are certain things that we as women take charge of. Kitchens are one of them. And now we've come to a point in our lives when we realize a lot of our men are excellent cooks. Likely in some cases better than a lot of the women. My husband was a Fantastic, and um, my son is. So uh, things change over time. You, you start to look at things a little bit differently. And then when they started just recently talking about colonization, I thought, I am really colonized. <laughs> I got to start to spill some of that out. And one of the things that is really helpful has been in the ministry. You know, because we talk about truth and reconciliation, like we have a patent on it. We have, we have to um, expand that a little bit. We have to uh, uh, really be in touch. So this young fella here is a traditional person. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that brought it back to me. Um, really made me look at myself as I am, as I had become, and to try to make those changes. Like even attending your session during the summer was fantastic for me because I learned a lot about this. <laughs> and I learned that, you know, I do want to be that grandmother. 
I don't know, I think I'm gonna be that person listens fully. And um, I remember when that, I've been in this web once, but I have COPD and I also have narcolepsy. So um, I know that those are two things that might get in the way, not so much for other people, but listen. So I don't mind sitting outside with I don't mind sitting with the women who sing. Um, and I guess it's just sort of recognizing my place and my role. And it's really helpful. Going through that two weeks at Sandy Soto and working with those animals. You know, it's like it's like going back in time and you're seeing yourself as a young mother. I was a young mother. Uh, I was married, but I was off in the law with my four children. And I knew how hard it is. I know how hard it is to, to have to play both roles and to really not have a whole lot of support. I know what it's like to work with the CAS, Children's Aid Societies. I am, um, and they are also a very controlling organization. I don't think it's, it's it's an individual choice. They have so many rules and policies, regulations, and this, that, and the other thing. That after a while, they lose control of being that good counselor, that good helper, because they have to answer to too many other people mm. that are paying paying your paycheck. And they lose their humanitarian pieces quickly. When I worked for the government, that was one of the things I noticed right away. Uh, it's almost like you get dictated to. Uh, they used to send these memos around that when programs were changing or the government was changing this, that, and everything. And it was a script of what you said if people asked you this particular thing. And, um, And I remember one of my cohorts saying to me, well, you know, you could dress a writing a thing up and have a hand to slip out every time somebody comes in. <laughs> <laughs> so it is. We live in a world where, you know, uh, we're losing. That's another kind of Robert's Rules of Order uh, yes. kind of colonization, isn't it? Yes. Mm. And even even when we have our ministry meetings and they talk about the agenda. It's sometimes because we're on Zoom now, it interferes with our capacity to be like we would have been in circle. So there's a start time to get on it. And I still see people having difficulty getting on Zoom now and again. So it's a uh, That can interfere. So even before you start, you're already frustrated because it took you so long, you know. Yeah. And 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 um, then you're finally on. You're going. Oh, thank God! I so yeah. our world has changed today, and it changed so many things. And then in our ministry, the, um, 
I find that there are some people who are not native. Sometimes they get more native than us natives. They really can't help themselves because that's the way that society is. You're society. So they want us to be who they want us to be. Hmm. So they 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 do it in a number of different ways, and it, it can be really damaged, especially in circle. Hmm. I just want to oh, check. Yes. I just want to check with Henry. Um, <laughs> speaking of difficulties getting uh, getting connected via Zoom. Um, you were having some poor internet connection. You were going to try to tether to your phone. Is, is has that worked out? How, how's that going? I think it's uh, it's connected now. It's uh, it's not not as bad as the connection I just had. So um, yeah, I think we can keep going. Okay. Um, you have a very soothing voice. Henry does, doesn't he? I know. Yes, he does. He has, he has a voice you could likely listen to a lot. I call it getting tired of. <laughs> I call it the Barons River baritone of Henry McKay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'll, I'll cut in here with um, with uh, the first question that I have here for Joyce. So Joyce. Um, I know that you were um, a helper at the Return of the Buffalo uh, Moms Retreat. How yes. was that uh, for you uh, to be a helper at that uh, Moms Retreat for the Return of the Buffalo at Sandy Soto? I loved it. I was just sharing with, with uh, Marcus that it taught me more about who I am than I like to realize when I went. Okay. And uh, I enjoyed working with the women. Is there any uh, significant uh, memories that you'd want to share with the, the podcast today? It was it was almost heartbreaking and heart rendering sometimes to see these women women struggling, really struggling, loving their children, wanting them back, and having to jump through two hundred and ten hoops to get them back. They have to keep proving that they were good people, good women, and good mothers. And it, and it, it gets, it, it, it is so unfair. It's such an unfair system. Instead of spending all this money on uh, foster parents who are not Native, they need to start to support those women in a different way. They need to provide the money so that they can get a, a decent place. You know, one of the conditions are you need to have a place. Okay, good. These are women who, who aren't working. Um, many who have gone back to school, and I keep in touch with some of these girls, so I know they've, they've made strides in that area. But it takes time to get there. So if you're, if you're constantly being kicked around by society and you don't feel that you really have a place or a voice or you're a nothing, and you have to keep going to these courses to prove that you are indeed a human being with gray matter between the ears. And yet you have the commitment of love and, and uh, responsibility for your children. You know, it, it is really, really unfair. And 
and you know they talk about all these conditions about well the boys have to be in one bedroom and the girls have to be in another bedroom and and all these things that you have to prove to them yeah there, there's very little do you love your children mm. and and you know um a lot of families in the cities especially because i lived in the city at one point in my life too where there are two or three generations living in the same apartment or the same house because if i'm going to go to school i need somebody to babysit and the only person that's likely going to babysit babysit for my children that i can afford is likely going to be an aunt a close aunt a grandma or my mother and if they're living here that whole exercise becomes a whole lot easier. And yes, it does provide some inconvenience, but families are used to living together. Your people, yeah. uh, Marcus, live together. You construct your houses so that, you know, the older people live on the bottom floor and the, the, the other middle class, middle-aged people live in the middle floor and, and the young people live at the top. Because if you walk down those stairs, you, uh, well, maybe I, I know that somebody told me that they don't always have stories. They have, they add on. But, but they don't seem to see that. They don't seem to see that at all. And it's, it's, uh, people are sending to, to view you. And now I find that our people are starting sometimes use it as a weapon. So if I'm upset with somebody, I call the CIS and say, well, they were out last We need to check up. So they never go away. They're constantly knocking at your door, you know, mm-hmm. looking through your cupboards, looking through your fridge, you know, taking advantage of your capacity to have a voice and saying, you know what, you need to Because I, I am not compelled by any law to open my door. When you're on the other side of that door, you are a stranger. They do not know you. But they don't. They open the door. That when that worker gets up to look in the fridge, they don't stop them because they don't know they should or could. It's a violation of all kinds of uh, individual rights, and it's terrible. It is. It's just terrible, yeah. and it breaks. I watched it. I watched those girls trying to explain to somebody how their their life has been affected. And their own dignity as human beings has been affected. And it has to it, it really does. You need to, I think that they need to be supported in a humane way. Mm-hmm. In a humane way. Because nobody knows the trauma they have gone through as young people, as young women, as young moms, to get to this place. You know, and it, it's some women are losing their babies even before they get them out of the hospital. And to me, that's just ludicrous. Nobody wants to live in their past uh, where it's been dark and dismal. How dare you make these women constantly live in the past? Okay, it was a weekend when I got drunk. I, 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 uh, Overstayed my 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 party, but it wasn't like it was happening every weekend. 
you know, and, and you need to also look at the fact that these are young women. They need some sort of outlet, you know. You need to support our kids. Do they need movie passes so that they can go to a movie, get a babysitter? Mm-hmm. I had four kids and I was going to university in London, Ontario. When Christmas time, I didn't have $5 in my wallet to buy Christmas gifts. I had to go and beg my brother-in-law to lend me $100. Mm-hmm. And when he came to give me the $100, I wasn't home. And he gave it to my oldest son. And he, he, his uncle put it on top of my Christmas tree. I didn't have the heart to tell my kids, this isn't a gift. This is a loan. I have to pay. And I didn't tell them. But they were so happy. And I was happy too, because now I had a little bit of uh, funds to get Christmas presents from my kids. That was before the dollar store. And, um, and I got the simple like that were less popular. They, they never got extravagant Christmas presents because they couldn't afford it. But they got lots of gifts. And we were together and we had a meal together. So money doesn't always make a big difference. But support us. Support us. And yeah. they could do some other things to help these women. Get get a program where somebody comes in uh, maybe once every week where they can go and watch a movie, where they can go and visit somebody else that's not a child. My kids are all excellent uh, speakers. But they were the people I had to speak to <laughs> <laughs> when they were growing up. Yeah, there's a, I, lot, a lot I, of very I, nice learned sure. lots. I learned lots. Mm. I, uh, I've seen it. And it and it and it caused me to think of the time that I went through. And um, yeah, they were just not perfect. None of us are. And this was the time when when uh, uh, discipline was looked a lot different than it does nowadays. You know, I, I think in society we swing from one side of the room to the other side, and there's no transitional stuff, you know. Today you have to stop doing this and have to start doing this. You know. And 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 it, it's imposed. It's imposed value. It's not like something that you grew up with, you know. Um Yeah, so I I I, I learned it all. I learned it, and I, I uh, you know, they, they they didn't like to get up in the morning, and I understood that. When you're a single mother and you've got a chance to sleep in, you take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a luxury. It's not. It's not something that happens all the time. Yeah. But also, too, without their children, what do they? It's not like you got to get up and make breakfast for somebody. They're not there anymore. Those kids aren't there anymore. Yeah. And and so help them. Help them. And yes, and then there was the thing. Your husband drinks. He can't be around the kids. In non-native society, I'm sure there's a lot of people that drink. 
that aren't being dictated to that. When your husband comes home drunk, you, you have, your children can't be around. It's asinine. They, they are held accountable for almost every breath they take. How can you live in a... One of the girls who showed me all the courses that she had taken through the, the process in Manitoba. And I thought, oh, I wonder this woman could see this. First off, was wrapped up into a certificate that somebody else designed, mm. you know. And and I think any social worker that's working with natives needs to prove that they, they have a real understanding of the social dynamics of that Aboriginal community, whether it's urban or reservation. I agree. Before they are allowed or entrusted to be a pair of an Aboriginal family. Hmm. That doesn't happen. That is certainly good. So I don't know whether I answered it. I think I'll be able to say what it was. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, that's very significant to be able to see the barriers that these women face. You know, um, it's uh, it's more more often than not, it's a uphill battle when you're trying to get your children back from the system that um, are, are supposed to be there to, to protect the children. But in reality, they, they keep, you know, they keep the children away from the parents while the parents have to jump through all these hoops. And like I said, it's an uphill battle and sometimes it's a very slippery slope. And then, mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because you know, when the men came, I was totally blown away by how they have managed to diminish the role of the men, hmm. the fathers. Yeah. You know, they in turn are, are, are demeaned in many different ways. Uh, a dad should do this, a dad should do that, a dad should do this. And it, it when you start off from that negative point, nobody sits down and says, "So, what are your what are what are the things you love about being a dad? Mm-hmm. What are the things that you enjoy doing with your children?" They start from a bad place, not a good place. You know, do you love your children? Yes. The first is, do you have a drinking problem or a drug problem? Or you have have you been in jail? It isn't from a good place. Um, even when you're counseling addicts, you never, never start from a bad place. You try to start. You try to build that rapport and trust, and you try to start from a positive beginning. And I don't know what uh, social work course these people have taken, but they certainly don't know how to start from a positive. I thought, oh my goodness, how do you win? How do you get your points across? How do you, how do you um, feel like a, a man needs to feel? Uh, like he's still important in the family. Mm-hmm. I know girls who are told by, even here in Ontario, uh, he has to stay away from his children. 
You just can't be arguing in front of them. Yeah. Do you mean that in every household yeah, and, in the country that people don't argue? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think there is a real way in which, like, in this effort to be trauma-informed, you know, there's, there's like, there's a, there's a lot of attention in the system to you know, the traumas that children might experience from their parents, which are real. Yes. Um, but that that doesn't get weighed against the traumas that these families experience from the system. Yes. You know they're, the tra- the trauma the, the trauma the trauma of being separated the trauma you know at the end of every visit your child is crying, uh, and doesn't know why you know they have to leave you again you know every like like those are real those are very serious traumas. And, uh, and, and you know, what's worse, I can remember having an experience and they walk in and they say, so they're trying to say goodbye and they're teary eyed. They're there. And, and they said, well, they didn't talk very much, but of course they didn't. What did they have to talk about? They've been gone from them for two weeks or a month. They're thrown together. They have this thing called a visit. Yes, they had. A difficulty, a difficulty conversing initially, because they have to start all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the worker walks in and says, "While well, they're trying to say goodbye, so they they've made a quick transition. The children don't want to leave their parents. The parents don't want to leave their children. And the worker walks in and says, "Okay, now we pick up all the toys." So they they aren't even allowed to say goodbye in a in a in a in a way that's important to them. So the yeah. focus becomes on the four toys that are sitting on the floor that they had been playing with. And it's terrible. It's a terrible way to manage a program, I think. Yeah. We have to get the toys up. You know, we have to clean them up. In less than 30 seconds to pick those toys up yourself yep. and yep. let them have that time to say goodbye. Then to interfere and say, yeah, it's important for you to pick these toys up. It is important. But who is it important to? Yeah. Yeah, that these relationship, people, that farewell is you know so much bigger than the toys Yeah, I the sat floor. in when my grandchildren were having a visit and I thought, boy, these people have been trained. They've missed... They missed the part about compassion, respect, truth, honesty. Mm. You know? mm. And and I did. I have a voice. Yeah. And I said, you know, it would take, and I did say that. I said, it would take you less than 30 seconds to pick up those four toys and put them away while these guys say goodbye. Yeah. And I, I know I have a kind of a, an assertiveness about myself. And she did. <laughs> but it it it's it's the non consideration the non consideration um and you the the traumatization ha- occurs over and over and over again yeah when they have those visits then they have to fight for night visits then they have to fight for visits on the weekend then they have to fight and fight for visits on special holidays 
it's not good. It's not good for the parents, and it certainly isn't good for the kids. And yes, those kids might have lived through some traumatization. So teach those parents about what is happening. What happened to you is going to happen to them. Help them to understand that so that they get a sense about it, you know, because you're you're forcing another trauma on top of the traumas they've suffered. And you're feeling pretty powerful and important. You're lost in your 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 own own uh, values. You see them, you get a window of maybe a half an hour, an hour to be, be vision the parents and children together. That's not a long. That's not enough time. Mm-hmm. There's if another the issue. Thing, there's another issue you were talking about that I I'm not sure people fully appreciate, uh, which is about sp- having a space. And uh, and Henry, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, my understanding is that people get caught in a real catch-22 where the requirement before they get their kids back is to have a certain kind of space, but uh, until they get their kids back, they don't qualify for the housing support to be able to afford the, the larger space. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, that's true. That yeah, happens in happens. Ontario too. Yeah. So, so wiggle your nose and pray for some from for some money to fall out of the ceiling so that you can get the space that they expect you to have. I have sat in meetings where um, the the I was there with the band administrator for the band who was also the, supposed to she wasn't native, um, who was supposed to be the mediator between. Uh, the band and um, the Aboriginal people who had children in care, and um, she had she had requested I the, the client had requested that I come as a support person. So I'm sitting there, and these two are having the conversation like this girl isn't even in the room. Mm. Well, how is she doing with this? How does she feel about that? And finally, I just I had listened to it for about twenty minutes, and I said, you know what? I find this whole conversation so disrespectful. And she, the, the lady from the CAS looked at me and she said, no. And I said, you keep talking about this woman like she isn't even in the room. You say, how does she feel about this? She, Why don't you ask her the question? She knows how she feels. I don't think as much as I can respect the position of the band administrator, I'm sure she's not, not that uh, competent to understand how this woman feels. Unless she's in her mind. This woman's sitting here. Ask her how she feels. It, it, it's terrible. It's terrible about the disrespect that that is shown to the women that are being serviced, hopefully by professional people. It is. It, it's just... Yeah. And it's almost like they expect these people to come up with these things almost by magic. And you know the problems of the world continue to to, uh, to go around, uh, and it, and it doesn't matter uh, to the worker. They they're not talking about you know like I had difficulty with this and they asked me to fill a form up and I, I wasn't able to do such a good job on it uh, when they're applying for apartments or or you know trying to get ahead. 
Yeah, I think we support the whole system. Well, maybe not the whole system. Don't throw out things that are working well. But they need to take a close hard look at what does support really look like. Mm-hmm. Support isn't just about sending somebody over there once every two weeks or once every week to check on whether this woman is still there and alive and breathing and has got food in the fridge or food in the cupboards. Um, a lot of times these women don't really have a whole lot of money for a lot of food. I don't know how people are making out now, but yeah. I'm curious, Joyce, um, being on the land for that retreat uh, and and those the kind of combination that was there of talking circles and ceremony and land-based activities. Um, curious how that, did that stir your imagination for what yes. like ministry quote unquote yes. Yes. could, can mean? Yes. It stirred me so much that we now have a palisade at the back of the church. It hmm. stirred me so much that I could see how land-based training helps them and 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 it is a it's a combination of the group being together the sharing of stories the realizing i'm not alone this is happening to my friend over here i can relate to the people that are here and and somebody wasn't a lot of teaching happened at that camp. a lot of teaching about life about being together about relationships about working with your family about having new experiences that add to your life that made you feel fulfilled, seen, and heard. Yes, it's beautiful. And I think those camps should run not just for two weeks. Those camps, um, and even I keep in touch with some of those girls that I met through your camp. Mm-hmm. And and they still remember Sandy Soto with love. And, and that's where a lot of their inspiration started. It didn't mean that the Hardships went away. What that meant them was hope. The, the, the light came into the brokenness and it showed them there is hope. There is help. And, mm-hmm. and um, that's why I was. So when I came back, see, I'm, I'm, I have to admit I'm not a, a traditional person, but my son is. Mm. And, and they have sweats. They do. They have. They have this palisade where they have a sweat uh, lodge and a teaching lodge, and they do a lot of work that the church isn't doing. They bring mm-hmm. people in. They talk. Uh, talk to the men and the women. Um, children are always invited. It's a welcoming space, and they do a lot of ceremony. They they talk to Creator. You know, in that sweat. That, yeah, those men are sitting and those women are sitting in their dark place. They're communicating with Creator. They are in the womb of their mother, the earth. They are connected, linked in a way that a lot of people may never, ever experience mm. unless they go through it. And who knows? Maybe it doesn't work for everybody, but I think the experience needs to be, be had. And even those, those, those social workers that work with these women, they should go through a sweat, whether they're men or women. They should go through, so they truly understand the experience. So they truly understand that 
that our ways aren't pagan and heathen, that our ways, we pray to the same God. He doesn't change faces because he's talking to the Indians and now he's talking to non-native people or Polish people or people from New Zealand. He's the same God. We just do it different. You go to a church, they go to a lodge. You you ring a bell, they blow a whistle. You have a sermon, we tell a story. You know, it, it's just doing things in a different way. This man is a minister. He may not be an ordained minister, but he is a minister to the people that he serves. Mm. And there needs to be some regard and some respect for that. Mm. Um, these people go there because they need, they know they need healing of their spirit. But they also need healing of their heart. A lot of them have been so traumatized that their heart no longer speaks to them. They are tired. They are broken. And the things they couldn't find in a church, they can find in the lodge. I don't feel like I'm in competition with uh, the traditional people. I feel we, we, we just do it differently. And, and, you know, people, people talk about walking the walk and talking the talk. That's what they do. So, and, and it's so action orientated, you know, so that, so the men came to us, uh, the board, which is, and they said, nothing ever happens for us. You know, we go to the different programs and ask for this and that. Nobody, nobody cares. So they might give us a, a three-hour slot in a building. But it, it's not like, okay, so we've got three-hour slot. But then they try to tell them what to do while they're in that three-hour slot. So they come to the church and they say, can we can we use this place, the manse, uh, to have our meetings? And after listening to them a while, I said, okay, you will get a key. You can open it. You go in, but everything has to be uh, cleaned, you know, after you're done. Any food you bring in here, if somebody uh, comes to the church looking for me or somebody else, has to be shared. Food is not, does not belong to a specific program that belongs to the people, whether you expected them or didn't. And uh, so, so it worked out. And then they said, well, we want to build this palisade. And uh, so we, we took money out of our healing and wellness budget to pay for the logs that they needed to build it. And in COVID, it has become a blessing in disguise because we never knew. We didn't know COVID was coming. But they have sweats there in the lodge. They keep social distancing. We've had a marriage there. We've serviced at least three funerals. Um, it has its own magic. It has its own mystery. You know, God is, is the creator of divine mystery. And a lot of things happen in life that you don't know where they're going to end up, but it, but it, it gets resolved. And you say, oh, I never thought of that. Um, 
but I think I think your program was absolutely fantastic. Even even and the and the women are saying to me, Oh, I can't wait for the sweat. We're gonna have mm-hmm. a sweat, no choice. And you could see them. And and some of them, they were so new to the sweat. Some of them hadn't gone yet. But because of the, the voices around them, they were yearning for it. You could see it and feel it, like even all the laughter, eh, Marcus? Even the, even the things that were done on a day-to-day basis, the journey, and, and the cooking and the eating together, the healing has started there. The, that just belonging to something, just to be felt, seen, and heard. Wow, what a difference that makes in a person's life. So I guess that you, you spoke to that a little bit of, you know, that, that leads into um, our, our next question here is um, what does land-based healing mean to you and, and what does it look like in your community? Yeah, it, it, it is important. It's so important because mm-hmm. our connection to the land, and I, I don't just say ours, there are a lot of, I think, cultures that really have a strong connection to the land. And that believe that everything, every piece of land is sacred because Creator made it. The swamp is as sacred as the desert. Where you stand at Mother Earth is sacred. And land based gets you back to that connection. Uh, you know, they talk about Adam being created from the dust or the earth. You know, we have traditions that talk about, you know, uh, those those creation stories in the Nishnabe way you know, with the animals going down and picking up the earth and creating fertile land in the Bible about God creating the Eden and then you know all these other things that happen. So yeah we are really connected and it's calming, it's peaceful. It's you don't have to be anything but human, you know, uh, the the evening spent around a fire, laughing, you don't have to agree on everything to know that it, it, it it's okay if you see it one way and the guy decides that he sees it another way. You just have a different way of looking at it. And that thing started at and Sandy Sword, I know for many of them, because I talked to them and they keep talking about that experience. So it it does work. It works. And I can't say enough about land-based training. It's like something inside you gets released. At least that was my experience. I feel like, wow. I'm so privileged to be here. I'm so privileged to be part of this, to see it. And I hope that this is something I can take back to the community. You know. And then to have the men come to us, because it's, it's funny how things just worked out. Hmm. I didn't have to do a lot of arm bending or, you know, talking. It just, because I think, think sometimes when you just pray on things, it does happen. It might not happen in the way you imagined it, 
but it does happen. I I support landlord-based I think it's uh, it's uh, especially for people that are troubled and, and who are heartbroken, who are, who are just trying to find themselves because they don't have to be anybody else but themselves. And sometimes that's even hard to know, because sometimes if you, if you can get so much, you don't, you're a picture of what everybody else wants you to be, and, and you, you get lost because you don't know who you really are now. You know, so you have to be something for this person, something for that person, and, and after a while, you, you really struggle to find out who you really are. Hmm. That land-based training brought it back. Yeah, I remember being a helper at Return of the Buffalo, and that was uh, a big thing for for the men that I was working with. That um, they were able to just be surrounded by nature and relax, and you know, not be in a city and worry about all these these things that they have to worry about in everyday life, and just really be themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I even remember when um, we were doing the the, the pig and going up there. It was a ceremony. I just love these people. I don't know if there's a ceremony for a pig, neither did they. But it was just the fact that they even thought about that they thought about, you know, that this pig is going to be slaughtered. It is a gift, but it is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Nobody had to tell them that. They just at the land, they knew that. And 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 you could hear people talking to that pig. It's like I'm talking to you guys and saying, yeah. you know, I give thanks for you. You know, I'm going to learn much from you. And and you're going to give your life so I can have these teachings mm-hmm. and these learnings. And I thought, wow. Nobody had to stand there and say, this is a teaching. They naturally, it opened them up naturally. It opened them up to, to visions that they didn't have when they came. That was, that in itself was wonderful to watch and to be part of. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, I used to watch Marcus with these kids. <laughs> and I thought, this is beautiful because... His child was allowed to come out. Mm-hmm. And he was present with those children, and that's a beautiful thing to see between adult people and little kids. And they loved it. They recognized it. Yeah. 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 I think the toughest the toughest day for me all, all summer this last year was we had mostly I, I was working from my my house, uh, but we had a we had a staff meeting around the fire here at the center in, uh, I think it was in June. Um, and I remember sitting there and the grass was green and the sun was on my face. And I was thinking, you know, I should be taking some kids down to the river right now while their parents are sitting in circle. I don't want to be here sitting and talking about COVID protocols. And and that was a moment when it was like, yeah, oh man, I I really miss that. 
and yeah, those kids did bring out my inner child, and uh, that's that's the gift of being with children for sure. Yes. Um, well, it's a gift being with you, Joyce. Um, well, but thank you. Yeah, it's a gift being with you guys. I, I really appreciate your stories, your 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 wisdom, your passion, and and I think uh, it's very powerful for me to just witness like the way you talk about your son and and acknowledge the goodness of of his path as a traditional person and you know to to have you recognizing Henry as a as a minister in your eyes as a minister to the people and um and you know I got to say this yeah. cuz the first time I ever seen this fella mm. I could tell that I could tell that that Something happened in his life that brought him to this place. I don't know what that history was, but I knew that he had connected to it, that it was no longer just a, a passenger, that he had made a commitment to, to shine his light in this way. It was a choice now. So whatever had happened to him before, I don't know about, but I do know that when I seen him at Sandy Soto, that that was his commitment. That he had, that he had, uh, that presence, even in in the just just the short time I knew him. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Mm hmm. And yeah, you're you're right. You know, um, it's been a journey. Um, it's been a tough journey, but you know, I'm I'm just like trying to give back in a way. as best I can, you know, to help. I'm a firm believer that um, helping is healing. So helping and being there with the people and for the people is very important to the next stage in life. Yes. Yeah. And you often like we sit down and think how you got there, you know, because there is a history. It's like me being in ministry now. Mm. Um, and I, I laugh about it still. Ten years ago, if you have said, Joy should be a minister, I'd have said, <laughs> where'd you hear that from? Hmm. God takes you where God wants you to be. You and I are, you and I and Marcus are not on this Zoom by accident. We're here because we need to be here. We hmm. have to be here. Yeah. Thank you for your... Because uh, we want things for people. Yeah. We do. Yeah, thank you for sharing today. Um, you know, it's a good, good story and a lot of wisdom there that you have. And uh, it's just uh, really nice to hear from, from someone that's uh, and living it, you know, another helper. Mm-hmm. Amen to all that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for your time. Um, oh, you're welcome. We'll we'll have to find other excuses to call each other up now that we've got this interview in the bag and <laughs> hopefully we have it in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> we'll turn out tickety boo, um, and uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be up on the on the website probably within a week or so. Um, and if you're interested in more of Henry's story, uh, his backstory, you can go to the Sandy Soda website now and. Uh, there's, there's a Return of the Buffalo page on the website now, 
and uh, and all the previous episodes are listed there. And and number two is is uh, Henry's story. Um, so uh, if you want to check that out, you can, Joyce. Well, our stories will continue the minute mm-hmm. we have Zoom. <laughs> that's, that's right. Oh, oh. thank and you so much. This, tomorrow, this will just be part of history. <laughs> Ours. Yeah. Okay. Mama Pico Wabin. Thank you. Thank you. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Take care. You too.